Hello, and once again, welcome to another Writer's Bookshelf, a Writer's Bookshelf podcast presented by me, David Driver. And it's about by the time, by the time you gorgeous people will be listening to this edition, if you are listening for the very first time, because they're all up there for forevermore, I do believe, or until the website, the pod being no longer want to exist, it'll be about a week away from uh, from Christmas. The big day is nearly here. Will it be a white Christmas or not? So it is the penultimate. It's not the penultimate show or podcast of 2023. It is the penultimate one before Christmas. I'm in the studios once more and I've got myself a drink of tea and I thought to myself, <clears throat> I thought to myself, well, David, it's obviously winter you know that, and I know that. Why not share? Why not share some winter tales? And what do I mean by that? Well, winter tales from the collection, from the anthology by the Corbydale Quills. And I've got two two stories penned by myself. I'll tell you a little bit about the, um, the Corbydale Quills. If you would allow me to do, the Cobbardale Quills is a writing group based in Silsden, West Yorkshire, United Kingdom. And the aim is to bring writers together of all abilities, cultures, writing styles and all such like to work on a multitude of ongoing projects. And this was the first project we uh, we ever worked on. <clears throat> the uh, It's a... A little bit of a foreword. Um, I hope you like this. I'll tell you a little bit more, give you a little bit more of uh, of an insight. And it says, Winter Tales was my first project, obviously myself, um, which brought together a great mixture of writers. Um, I asked the writers to include two of the following within their stories. Winter, Magic, Good versus Evil, Adventure, Christmas or Folklore. We also looked at the use of keywords, and three of these had to be included within their word weaving. Then came the then came the curved ball, an unusual object from the table, and this also had to be part of the story. Discussions took place with regard to narrative, dialogue, openings and endings. And we also shot off on tangents when discussing chocolate, James Bond, Bill Sykes, the one and only Oliver Reed from Oliver, uh, Oliver Twist, sorry, uh, from the film Oliver Twist, um, Fagin, dislikes and many other non-related subjects. But in the end, we all agreed that chocolate was indeed a good force for writing and hopefully we have all done as asked, and these asks reflect in the individual stories. So I do remember we had such a good time, um, and the original, the very first members of the Cobbardale Quills were my good friend Marion Barker, Helen Bradley, myself, Faye Kelk, Wendy Kelk, and Linda Tugwell. I <clears throat> penned two poems, um, one called Q.A. Greenbaum, and a second story called Storm. So we'll share 
the uh, <clears throat> I'll share this story. I'm just going to get a drink of tea. I also I always tell you. I always tell you that I don't. Uh, we don't we don't edit things. We we'll just get on with it, and we'll have a drink of tea in between. And that's what we do. That's so it's live in the studio. I'm bringing you live in <coughs> to the studio. Okay. <coughs> QA Greenbaum. Winter Tales. Stories with a difference. QA Greenbaum, or Quincy Abraham Greenbaum, to give him his full title, was the best. The best in the business. If you wanted a certain service with no questions asked, and a 100% guarantee, then he was your man. Standing six feet, four inches tall, his athletic frame told you he was in control. Blue eyes looked into your very soul, and his voice was as smooth and enjoyable as a bourbon with ice. Removing his jacket, Greenbaum rolled up his sleeves before we discussed business. And I pitied the person who had given him the scars on his left forearm. He loved the number 17, and that's why he always wanted 1.7 million per contract. But it was well worth that amount, just to see my husband dead. And besides, I'd get his full $45 million fortune. It's quite a story. The start of a best-selling novel, maybe. I suppose so. Yes, I, I suppose so. If you analyse it from that perspective. Bethany Richards replied to the question posted by Dr. Killigan. Relax. There's no, such, there's no catch. Drink? I'll just have a coffee. White. No sugar. Bethany. Beth. You're long past the interview stage. Perhaps something a little stronger. You know, it's, um, besides, it's, it's Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. Oh, no thanks. A coffee will be fine. I have to drive home later. You could always take a cab. Oh, no thank you, uh, Dr. Killigan. I, uh, I prefer to drive. Dr. Killigan, please, Beth, call me Paul. It's Christmas Eve. Savouring the aroma for a moment, Bethany Richards tasted her coffee. She'd worked at Thorngate Asylum for just over six months, and this was her first Christmas at the infamous building. Thoughts and questions raced through her mind as Dr Paul Killigan flirted with her. She'd known from the very beginning about his reputation with the female staff, but that had never put her off. Just like him, Bethany had longed to work at the asylum and had excelled throughout her time at university. And just like Paul Killigan, she had landed a job at Thorngate at the age of 25. He'd served the place for 30 years. <clears throat> Snow still fell lightly outside, so Beth didn't refuse a second coffee. Glancing at the clock, the young psychiatrist set a deadline for 7.45. The charming, seductive onslaught moved up a gear and she knew his eyes undressed her. So what do you make of it? 
Paul Killigan laughed as Bethany Richards waved the papers at him. Oh, run-of-the-mill, run-of-the-mill stuff, Beth, taking the papers as he spoke. He gave them a brief glance. Q.A. Greenbaum? Questions and answers? Maud Green? Oh, easy stuff, Beth. We all know Maud loves to change the letter D for a letter B. The, the rest, all this, um, all this Quincy stuff, money and, and bourbon, it's, it's, it's all pure fiction. Fiction from the start of the show. Our very own Maud Green. The conversation continued. The snow started to fall heavier and best deadline moved forward by 15 minutes. When Paul Killigan's hands started to switch between her shoulders and buttocks. Joe waved as Bethany approached and the security gate swung open. Wishing each other a Merry Christmas through the driver's window. She, she shut out the falling snow with a touch of a button and turned up the radio. The roads were slowly getting worse, but still drivable. Maud Green, Bethany thought. She certainly was the star of the show and a damn good reason to work at Thorngate Asylum. Maud Green was born on the 3rd of April, along with her twin sister, Isabel, in 1957. Their mother was a small, unassuming woman who lived only to serve her husband. He was a tall, athletic, God-preaching man of the church. From an early age, she'd shown an interest in the occult and her father had regularly tried to beat it out of her. Isabel was the opposite. The perfect child, and people often said it was a case of good versus evil. Maud made no friends at school and was a victim of bullying. Her father asked for the help of others in the church when his daughter acquired a Ouija board and began speaking of a bad demon. She often wrote these two words wherever and whenever she could. It was also the start of Maud Green switching the letters D and B. At this point, her father, the Reverend Green, decided to take her out of school. Many teachers came to home Many teachers came to homeschool Maud, but quickly left. Strange things began to happen, and most of the people willing to undertake the educational task needed professional counselling and soon moved out of the area. Padlocks were placed on the door to her quarters, and the rooms were stripped to the bare minimum because of the ever more frequent violent and unexplainable episodes. Maud no longer spoke. She only communicated through writing. Elaborate stories followed. Names invented and secret messages were cleverly woven into words. Over the years, she had less and, yet and less human contact and eventually only five people saw her on a regular basis. It all ended on the 18th of May, 
1974. Maud escaped and went on a wild killing spree. Her mother died first, and then three of her friends. Neighbours tried to help, but they too fell to the blood-soaked frenzy. A father's church was set alight, and as people tried to stop the killings and madness, they too became victims. Reverend Green fell to his knees and asked for forgiveness. But Isabel entered the church to confront her sister. Only one sister was found alive in the burnt wreckage. Maud, but her sibling's body was never found. The words bad demon were written in blood on the surviving walls and Maud was standing naked at the scorched font, laughing insanely. An extensive search never revealed the whereabouts of Isabel's body and no knife was ever found. Some witnesses stated that Maud was carrying a knife and others stated that she carried out the killings with her bare hands. Others said that a dark figure stood at her side the whole time. The news soon spread around the world and became known as the Bad Demon Murders. The trial lasted six weeks and at the age of 17, Maud Green was sent to Thorngate Asylum. 45 years later, and she's still there, still communicating through her writings and never to be released. December the 29th. Ray Guineman Humer, QC, dead. The headline slowly surged through Bethany Richards' body. Each word slowly separated into individual letters and then reformed into another name. It was so easy and clear. It had become second nature since beginning to work at the asylum. Ray Guineman Humer, QC dead, was an anagram of Quincy Abraham Greenbaum. Beth sat down. She calmed herself for a few moments, then stood, walked over to the window, then sat down once more. Minutes passed, rising to her feet. She made her way to the fridge, took out a bottle of white wine, sat down and started to drink. An unusual breakfast and no glass was needed. More and more information surged through her mind and as she continued to read, the TV was switched on and all the news channels were broadcasting live from the crime scene. Guineman Humour was known throughout the world. He became the youngest ever QC in England. Retired, moved to the USA in the early 60s and, ca and carved out a name and reputation for himself where he set up his own legal firm, Ray Guineman Humer. Represented the, some of the biggest names in films, TV and the music business. He was also involved 
in the Maud Green Bad Demon Murders and he never lost. The world, along with Bethany Richards, was now taken in the fact that he was dead and Bad Demon was sprawled all over the walls of his mansion. Evidence had supposedly been found indicating that he was linked to an underage sex racket with links to the church. But most people wanted to know if Maud Green was innocent, and if so, who was the bad demon killer? <clears throat> the following year, Christmas Day. Bethany Richards drove into the grounds of Thorngate Asylum along with another woman. The case, watched by the world, had finally been brought to a conclusion. After new evidence, new witnesses and various retrials, it was finally over. Ray Guineman Humer was found guilty of underage sex, with holding evidence, bribery, and a whole host of other things that wiped out his glittering, godlike career. It also raped Maud Adams, making her pregnant. Maud's father had died 20 years ago, but did play a part in the sex racket. New DNA evidence had proven that the scars on Humer's left forearm had been caused by Maud's biting and scratching. Maud was only 17 when she had given birth. The baby was a healthy girl who had survived, given birth herself and named the child Bethany Richards. She was also the sole benefactor of a $45 million fortune. The debate continued with regards to whether Maud Green was innocent and if so, who was the real killer? That legal argument would continue for a while and it was highly unlikely that she'd ever be released. Beth reached the end of the corridor and a pass opened the two security doors. Only one more door remained. Behind it lived Maud Green, a woman who hadn't spoken in over 50 years, a woman who still raised questions like, is she good or is she just pure evil? Beth Richards Pass opened the final door and the woman still making newspaper headlines sat looking out of the window. Finally, my girls are here. Maud Green spoke and Bethany along with her mother, just held hands and listened. It's starting to snow. I like snow. But I bet you like your bank account better. She laughed out loud. Come, come and sit with me and watch the snow. We are finally complete. Finally three and therefore strong. A coven is always stronger when it's three. Finally, finally, we can bring that bad demon under control. 
Merry Christmas, girls. Merry Christmas. And I do hope, <clears throat> excuse me, I do hope you like that one. I'll just take a drink of tea. And there you go, Christmas story with a difference. Difference, goodness me. Okay, this next one, Storm. What I do like about short stories is, um, and anyone sort of out there, it, it might be um, a horror story, it could be a love story, it could be a, a story for children, um, it could be anything really. And I think as writers, it, I think it just depends what frame of mind you are in and what influences you are, um, you know, what so in the world, where, what, what's inspiring you. Um, I'll share this next one with you um, and see what you think of it. It's just a little bit shorter. It's called Storm. <clears throat> Rain poured mercilessly. Torrents of water flooded. Gullies struggled to swallow. Lightning danced across the black sky, accompanied by an orchestra of thunder. The once mighty oak, which marked the centre of the woodland, stood shattered, smouldering, wounded from the destruction from the destructive lightning bolt which had destroyed its three hundred year life. Only one watched. Naked, flesh, ignorant of the cold wet night. Not many who now walked the earth would know her name, but there was one, and she could sense his presence. Once lovers, but now the taste of revenge was sweet upon her lips. She moved cat-like across the mulch and wet fallen branches, Stopping at a clearing to listen to a last orders drunk that had dropped his mobile phone. As eyes met, his words never escaped. Blood spilled from the drunk's mouth and eyes, and he too fell to the floor, just like the branches. Gripping the red rose in her left hand, blood trickled down the fingers of the soft white hand matching the colour of the petals. Thorns pierced deeper and the river of red seductively ran over curvaceous thighs and pooled at the feet of the goddess. Yorkshire was a long drive from London, especially in the storm which had descended on the UK. Tyres tore up the miles on the motorway, the coffee and cheeseburgers all tasted equally crap at each individual service station, but were all equally over-expensive. No sane person would believe a single word of, this, of his story. He knew it to be true. All the research, the dates, the signs, they all led to one conclusion and to one place. The storm had eased, but rain still fell lightly. Three men emerged from an old abandoned garage, which stood by the iron bridge. Fueled by drugs and alcohol, they needed little encouragement when they saw the female approaching. A naked form excited them. Rain trickled over pale flesh, 
soaked, raven-black hair clung to her back and shoulders. Wild green eyes invited them all, and she teasingly, teasingly fondled her breasts. She let out uncontrollable laughter. She was Nalini, goddess of the hollybush, and to walk the earth once more felt good. The alcohol and drugs cursed through her veins. She relished in the taste of a kiss and gave no resistance when human hands traced and touched her body. They all laughed. They drank more cheap alcohol and let the effects of the needle-infused pleasure ride through their veins like an endless climax. The names were insignificant. Only hers mattered. Soon, all were naked, chanting, lost in a frenzy of wild, ancient traditions. Nalini, 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 Nalini. All three males worshipped. Nalini, Nalini, Nalini. The chanting continued. Four more miles, the satnav said. Professor Aidan Webster had spent all his life waiting for this moment. Excitement surged through him. He studied all religions, beliefs, cultures and civilizations. Professor Webster couldn't help laughing. He laughed and banged the steering wheel. Decades of study had brought travel to many lands. Ancient books and scrolls had been translated and he'd waited patiently. Symbols and paintings from caves had all been studied and brought to conclusion. The professor hummed a little tune, pulled over, parked the car and grabbed his coat. As the naked bodies danced, chanted and indulged, night rain continued to fall. Manic laughter brought the debauchery to a climax. Screams accompanied the laughter as the men writhed in agony. Jerked in spasms, they clung to their eyes and mouths as blood poured once more. The ancient goddess bathed in their slow, painful deaths, splashing her hair and body with the red liquid of life. As Nalini rose to her feet, she offered up her arms and green lightning danced to her command above. Clutching the red rose once more, she closed her eyes and recited an ancient prayer. Professor Webster looked on. Words escaped him. His life's work had come to this. Emotions flooded him, and he just continued to watch. Nalini's eyes opened and she immediately met the stare of her new admirer. Smiling, she offered no malice. A hand beckoned him and he instantly responded. Lips met and they both enjoyed a sensuous kiss. I knew you would come, the goddess spoke. Webster offered no reply. It was always your destiny. She spoke once more. The two continued to kiss and then a new voice joined. Nalini, you look 
as beautiful as ever. Del Goo. Pushing away the professor, Nalini replied. Anger rose within her, but not for long. Deep blue eyes looked at her longingly. His red mane was tied back. That she, with a brooch that she had made for him over a thousand years ago. And ancient purple symbols adorned his upper torso. And why do I have the pleasure of the god of snow and ice? For the first time, her voice was soft and calm. I will always love you, Nalini, and I can never forgive you, Delgu. Thousands of years have passed, and they will continue to do so. You still have the rose forever. Then you will remember me. Always. For a moment, the two were lost in thoughts of better times. He is yours. Nalini pointed to Aidan Webster. She took the ancient book from inside his jacket pocket. The goddess wrapped the ancient writings in leaf and bark to honour traditions and smiled at the thought of someone finding it. Professor Webster backed away slightly, but Delgu's powerful hand soon rested on his shoulder. As the two locked eyes, Aidan Webster needed no explanation. He knew they were two immortals, existing long before Celtic times, long before all known religions and beliefs. He had the ancient scrolls translated. He knew that they were once lovers and that he'd betrayed her by sleeping with another. In her, in her anger, she swore an oath to walk the earth taking the blood of humans. Delgu had always needed the sacrifice of humans in order to bring the snow and ice. He needed the bones of the mortals. The stronger the belief in the god and goddess, the harsher the winter. But Webster always also knew that love had prevailed in the end. Nalini knew Delgu's secret and he had the power, and she had the power to destroy him. This she had vowed to do the next time they met. But they still carried the blood rolls he had given her on their first date. And as today had proven, when they did finally meet once more, she couldn't bring herself to speak the ancient words that would kill a god. Pain surged through the professor's shoulder, spreading throughout his body. As flesh peeled away, blood-curdled screams were enjoyed by the once-lovers. Bones turned to dust, and on Delgu's command, ascended to the clouds. Nalini's eyes glowed a bright green, and fire consumed the pulpy human mass of flesh and blood, leaving no remains. For a moment, the two immortals nearly kissed, but Nalini smiled, picked up her rose and walked away. Lightning danced across the sky once more and then she was gone. 
Delgu closed its eyes. A swirling ball of snow and ice consumed him, which in turn joined the clouds above. In the morning, villagers gathered to take pictures of the shattered oak tree. This story was told for decades and beyond, along with the tale of the lightning storm. The police launched a search for the missing people of the village, and after a while, they became just another unsolved case. When Professor Aidan Webster's family realised he was missing, they alerted the authorities, and he too became just another unsolved case. But his sister moved to Yorkshire and relentlessly continued the search until she sadly died of a rare disease. But the winter of that year was a particularly good one for the Yorkshire village. All the holly bushes bore beautiful red berries in abundance and the villagers frequently passed comment on what a wonderful shade of red they were. The snow never seemed to stop sm- the snow never seemed to stop falling and the village pond froze over. All the village children and some of the more adventurous adults enjoyed sledging and skating for weeks. And that story was passed down from generation to generation so that it would never be forgotten. So thank you for listening to two of my short stories. And I do hope that you have enjoyed them. And as I always say, if you like what you have been listening to, if you do like the podcast, then and you want to find out a little bit more about me, go to the website, which is daviddriverauthor.com. That is, of course, dot. And you can find out many, many things that I get up to. There's also some contact details if you want to be part of the podcast, part of the actual show. I will wish everyone a Merry Christmas because, as I've already said, if you are, li- if you are listening to this first time round, then you'll be listening just before Christmas. So I do hope that Santa Claus brings you everything that you deserve and you have a very, very Merry, Merry Christmas. All the best. Have a drink or have a drink, raise a glass and just enjoy the whole festive season with all your family and friends. Keep the love, keep writing and above all else, just keep in touch. Thanks for all the feedback and I will be speaking to you on the next episode. Goodbye for now.